0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 18 through 20. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. He built this monastery and then it got destroyed by the Tatars in 1408 and St. Sergius died. He was made the patron of Russia. But the Serbian monks built another cathedral dedicated to keep his relics. It's called the Cathedral of the Trinity. They wanted the best iconographers to paint and they asked Andrew Rublev to paint the Trinity. And here it is. You've probably seen replications of it before, but it's the Trinity and it was the central piece in the iconostasis in Trinity Cathedral. So when Rublev was asked to paint this, it's a prayer. Icon writing is prayer. So he had to worship he had to pray and he had to fast and and he took it very seriously and he did that for a long time before he ever started painting because it's a prayer to paint the trinity what a task a daunting task this was but to paint this mystery he knew he had to study the gospel of john because he knew most of the teaching on the trinity came from the gospel of john but in his prayer he thought of this scene abraham Abraham was visited by the Trinity. He knew it in Genesis chapter 18, what we're studying tonight. And in prayer, he knew that the Trinity had to exist outside of the dimension of time and space. So most of this scene was painted with Abraham and Sarah in the scene. He knew, I have to remove the human figures. Abraham and Sarah have to go. So he took them out, and he painted the Trinity. And it is something to be contemplated and prayed with. It's a window to heaven, this icon. Uh, I'll tell you a few of his symbolisms. The, the three figures, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Holy spirit first of all they all have some blue on blue is the color of divinity so you'll see blue on each of them the father is blue and translucent he has this fabric that almost glows or shimmers or is 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 uh, luminous and Jesus has blue but then he has crimson because he's going to give the blood for the final sacrifice the crimson blood he has a gold stripe on his shoulder because Isaiah said that the government would rest upon his shoulder so he has the 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 governmental gold band on his shoulder the holy spirit Spirit has on green because he's the giver of life, the river of life. And, and the new creation comes from the Holy Spirit. All of their golden wings touch because they're three persons, but they're one God. And then they all have very similar faces. If you notice their faces, they're almost identical faces. The faces have both male and female characteristics because God created us male and female in his image. And so God has both female and male attributes. Two of the faces look toward one face. Two of the faces look towards the Father. They all look towards the Father. The Father on the left is the only figure to be unbowed. The other two bow to him, displaying his fatherly authority over the other two. The Holy Spirit and the Son bow to the Father. Each person is holding a scepter of authority. Two have their hands on the table, the Spirit and the Son, but the Father has both hands on the scepter. He clasps the scepter with both hands. All authority in heaven and on earth belong to the Father. There is a house behind the Father. There is the tree of life behind jesus and there is a rock behind the holy spirit it would have been the tent of abraham but now it's the house of god It's, it's heaven the oak of mamre has been changed to the tree of life which is jesus and the rock behind the holy spirit is where moses struck the rock and water the water of life poured out and what Peter would use for baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're all in a circle. There's an imaginary circle for Rublev because it's an everlasting circle of life and love. It's also a triangle. Their faces all fit because it's a triune God. There's also a cross that you can see uh, that he would see as he painted that they all touch the cross but the sun is front and center on the cross. He'll be the final sacrifice and there's also a chalice, the blood of the new covenant. And so So uh, Cardinal Ranziger in 2004 was giving a homily on the Most Holy Trinity Sunday. He used Rublev's icon saying that it was a means for great contemplation in prayer. The most beautiful artistic description of the mystery of the Trinity was given to us by Andrew Rublev in the 15th century. And these elements show us the mystery of God, allow us to immerse ourselves in contemplation of its intimate depths of his Trinitarian love. Andrew Rublev died in 1430 in this monastery in Russia, uh, Andronikov. This is where also the monks would make illuminated copies of the Bible in the 15th 15th century. Uh, he was the most famous monk of this abbey. And now that trinity is housed in a state museum in Russia, in Moscow, for the world to see. But Andrew Rublev was sainted. They call it, he was glorified in the in the uh, Russian Orthodox Church on June 6th of 1988. So a fairly new saint for them. Uh, feast day, July 4th or January 29th. He also painted Christ the Redeemer. This is the only two works that exist from him. We don't know much about this one. It was accidentally found in a barn in an old Woodshed, but we know Henry Nouwen loved this icon, called it the face of the peacemaker, and uh, you'll see this icon, replications of it around. Okay, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's mentioned in the Old Testament, it's mentioned in the New Testament, it's also in the Quran. Uh, The Lord's judgment is pronounced on Sodom tonight. So this beautiful trinity of persons is speaking with Abram at the oaks of Mamre, and then the men set out from there. And they looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. Why would the Lord want to protect Abram from this scene? What he's going to do? He's asking the other two persons of the Trinity, should I, should I not let Abraham see this? Because remember who lives there? Lot, his nephew. And remember when they were getting too big and they had to part ways and Lot took the best land and Lot settled very close to Sodom. he took his tent as far as Sodom. Sodom is not a good place. We've already heard that it's full of wicked men. Lot, remember, then gets captured in the battle of the kings and Abraham has to go again and put his life on the line and rescue this kid. And now the Lord's asking, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He asked the other two persons of the Trinity. No, I've chosen Abraham that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see what they have done altogether according to the outcry which has come to me. And if not, I will know. God's gonna go down and see about Sodom. Remember when he went, Down, God plural, went down to confuse the language at Babel in Genesis 11. So the men turned from there and went down toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So one stayed and two went. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou indeed destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now you know what Abraham's thinking about. He's thinking about his nephew Lot and his family. How many is it going to take, Lord? Lord, Lord, listen, like if there's 50 good people, if we could find 50 good people in Sodom, would you still destroy the city? Okay. I'll let it go for 50. What about 45? What if there's five less than 50? Would you let it go for 45? Okay. I'll let it go for 40. What if there's 40? If if there's 40 good people, would you let it go? Lord, please, please. Okay. What if there's 30? If there's 30, if there's 30, 30, we save it for 30. What does he need to get down to? How about 20? How about 20? We save it for 20. I'll save it for 20. What about 10? What about 10? This last thing I'll ask. What about 10? Okay. I'll save it for 10 for the sake of 10. I won't destroy it. Well, that's enough to cover Lot's family. That's enough. 10 will do. It. Because it's Lot, his wife, his two daughters, and his two future son in laws. There's six of them all together. So 10 will cover it. Making a deal with God. That's what Abraham's doing. Do you ever do that? Do you ever say, God, if you do this, I'll do this for you. God, if you do this for my son, then I'll. Do you ever do that? Bargain with God? Anybody? I'm the only one that does it. Why do we bargain with God? Because we want it our way. We got a plan for our kid. We got a plan for our spouse. I got a plan. It's pretty good. I got a plan, Lord. And his plan's different. Abraham's bargaining with God. The two angels came to Sodom. In the evening and lot was sitting in the gate of sodom and when lot saw them he rose to meet them he knows there's something special too he bowed himself and his face to the earth and he said my lords turn aside i pray you to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet and then you may rise and go early on your way and they said no we will spend the night in the street oh boy they want to spend the night in the street of sodom and lot is thinking oh my goodness lot urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made and Lot knows what will happen if they spend the night in the streets of Sodom. He made them a feast. He baked them and in living bread and they ate together. And before they laid down the men of the city and the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded their house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Those beautiful men, those beautiful angel-like men. Bring them out so we may know them. And this is no yada. This is so we might have intercourse with them. Lot went out of the door to the men. He shut the door after him. And Lot said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known men. I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you may do with them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Lot is willing to throw his two virgin daughters out to these wicked men and protect the Lord. The wicked men of Sodom want to objectify and rape the beautiful male angels. Lot suggests that the wicked men of Sodom objectify and rape his own virgin daughters instead. Maybe Lot knows that'll never happen. They're not interested in women. I don't know maybe God, I don't know. The wicked men from Sodom are known as Sodomites. That's where we get the word Sodomites and Sodomy from this town, Sodom. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow, Lot, the men are saying, this fellow came to sojourn and he thinks he can play the judge over us. Uh Uh-uh. Now we, the Sodomites, will deal worse with you, Lot, than with them, the two angels. Now they're going to go after Lot. Then they, the Sodomites, pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door. But the men put forth their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. So the angels have just saved Lot's dignity, his life. And they struck, the angels struck. The, blindness, the men with blindness, those who were at the door of the house. So now they're struck with blindness and they're groping, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves groping for the door. Now they're blinded and that will buy them some time. Then the men said to Lot, the angel men, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-laws, sons or daughters or anyone that you have in the city, bring them out of this place for we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has come before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters up get out of this place for the Lord's about to destroy the city but he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. They think he's joking around. Are you jesting? Are you joking around for amusement Um, on father-in-law Lot? Noah had to save eight in all. Lot has to save six in all. A total of four will escape but only three will survive. When morning dawns, the angels urged Lot saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed by the punishment of this city. But he lingered. Lot lingered. He's still attached to Sodom. There's something still, he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters, four of them, by the hand. The Lord, this is mercy, the Lord being merciful to him, brought him forth, set him outside the city. The Lord had to physically bring him out. And when they had brought them forth, they said, flee for Your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Flee to the hills lest you be consumed. Pretty clear instructions. Flee for your life, do not look back, don't stop anywhere in the valley, flee to the mountains. Do you remember Luke 17 last year? And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People, Jesus says this, people went around their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left. Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rain down from heaven and destroy them all. Yes it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day a person out on the deck of the roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. A vulture swarming, above all the crucified. Jesus Christ, here's a bird flying above, circling. Also, the other translation of vulture is eagle. Remember the Roman standards with the eagles on top? The Romans were everywhere. The eagles were everywhere around the crucifixion. In one biblical generation, their temple will be destroyed by Roman vultures, Roman eagles in 70 AD. They've got one generation to figure out this was Messiah. Don't look back. Jesus speaks about further destruction also in Matthew's gospel, and he tells those at this time, those in Judea must flee to the hills. It's the best tip the early Christians ever got. They got out of Jerusalem. They fled to the hills and not a hair on their head was harmed. They survived. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones, those who follow the instruction and flee to the hills. Okay, back to Lot. When they had brought them forth, they said, flee for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Flee to the hills or you'll be consumed. And Lot said, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot flee to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold yonder. He wants city life. He wants to stay in a city, not to the hills. Behold yonder city is near enough to flee to. And it's a little one. It's a little city. It's not like Sodom. Let me escape there. It's not a little one. My life will be saved. And the Lord said, he said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Make haste escape. Therefore I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. The Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground wiped out everything. But Lot's wife behind him looked back. And what happened to her? She became a pillar of salt. It's quite a visual image. Don't look back, don't stop, flee to the hills she was too attached. She had to look back and she turned into a pillar of salt. And there are really rock formations there at this place to this day. This this is called Lot's Wife, a pillar of salt. It's located near the Dead Sea at Mount Sodom in Israel. Salt formations are still very common there. And an artist has taken this one and made it look like Lot's Wife. I think it's fabulous, but it's a very visual image. Now Abraham goes out early the next morning to the place where he had stood before with the Lord. And he looked down toward toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the valley and behold, the smoke of the land went up like smoke of a furnace. This is the smoke and fire of judgment in the Bible. This city has been judged by God. The smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. They are completely obliterated and destroyed by the Lord. He has judged this city. So it was that God destroyed the cities of the valley. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. reminded me of when God remembered Noah. Remember that? In Genesis 8.1, now God's remembering Abraham. These are the patriarchs. And then Every time we hear about Sodom in the scriptures, and I won't read them all to you, but every time Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned throughout the entire Bible, it is never in a favorable light. It's always about sin and that they were destroyed and that they were wiped out and they were obliterated and remember Sodom and Gomorrah and the great punishment that they endured and Sodom and Gomorrah, it's never a good place, but it's very, very memorable for the people. They will never forget this. Jesus says cities that don't believe that he's here. If you miss your visitation, Messiah is standing right in front of you. Truly I say to you, it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town who doesn't believe Messiah visited. So Sodom and Gomorrah, negative, negative, always a remembrance. Even Jude is a one chapter book and he has to mention Sodom and Gomorrah. One chapter. St. Peter says, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes. God condemned them to extinction. He made them an, an example to those who were ungodly. Paul gives Timothy a whole list of things, murderers, manslayers, immoral persons, Sodomites. There's the word. It comes from Sodom. So we live now in a fallen world. After the fall, we see everything's going further east, further east, further east. Sin is getting greater and greater and greater. Sins are getting more uh, against the natural law, how, how God intended the primordial sacrament of marriage to be. The catechism says among the sins gravely contrary to chastity are masturbation fornication pornography and homosexual practices catechism 2357 homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction toward persons of the same sex it has taken a great variety of forms through the centuries and in different cultures its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained basing itself on sacred scripture which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. That means that they aren't part of God's design. They don't fit into the natural law, the theology of the body. They're contrary to natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life they do not proceed from genuine effective and sexual complementarity and under no circumstances can they be approved that's not what our culture is telling us today they've got all ways around it you can conceive a baby you can use artificial means you can still have a child you can have man and man woman and woman you can get married legally all, all our culture is telling us exactly opposite of what the catechism and the scriptures are telling us. In Timothy, Paul knew that would be the case. He tells Timothy, who was a bishop, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings. So we see even Protestant pastors that are gay or whatever. We know there are gay Catholic priests. Uh, And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Peter, the first pope, talks about the danger of false teachers, but there will be false prophets in Israel just as there will be false teachers among you in the early church. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teachings and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Jesus himself said, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So I just want to say my role as a teacher, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to teach God's word. Please know that I'm not judging, but I have to teach because I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and he's going to say, you studied Genesis chapter 19 and you didn't say a word about sodomy. What and I'll be judged, and I don't want to have a millstone around my neck and throw Sharon into the sea. But your role may be different in God's kingdom. You may be accompanying someone you love who is living in one of these mortal sins. Someone living together outside of marriage, extremely common, even for Catholic young couples in in our culture. You know this. You may be accompanying someone who has an addiction to porn. That's rampant. The 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 endorphins in the brain are the, the, the what everyone has their own little personal computer. You may be accompanying someone with the same sex attraction. But the Holy Spirit wants you to know God's word because this is where the freedom comes. This is where people are let free from interior bondage. You need to know the truth so that you can accompany someone else in truth and and in love in Christ. So I know we all have different family situations and no one's judging you or your kids or your grandkids or whatever you're dealing with. But God wants you to know the truth so that when the time comes and you're asked a question that you can in gentleness and in love know the answer that will help set someone free. That's the greatest love you can do. You want to accompany people to heaven. You don't want to accompany them to hell. I mean, this is this is the trick because the answers are in God's word and you can stand on God's word. God's word is true. It never changes. Jesus Christ is the same today tomorrow, and forever. So when we accompany people, we have to accompany them in truth, or we really do a misservice with eternal consequences for them and for us. If you're not telling someone the truth, you're in danger also. We have to learn. This is the tension in our hearts. That's why we hate this. It's coming up on Thanksgiving, and the whole family's coming. We're going to have to talk about something. We're going to have to say the truth in love, maybe, to someone we really love. But love is truth, and love is God. God is truth truth. God is love. And God cannot lie. It is against his nature. He cannot lie. So it's not true love to lie to someone and say that everything's just fine if it's not in line with God's word. And it's not right to accompany someone in deception. It's wrong and it's a lie. It's not true love. So it's easy when they're little. And they're little sponges and we tell them and they say, okay, mommy. But when they get older, it really gets harder because they get emancipated from us. We do all we can do when they're little. Maybe we didn't even know the Lord when they were little yet. Maybe we didn't teach them a darn thing. It's easier when they're younger. It gets harder as they get older, much harder as they get older. So that's another reason why we really have to stay in relationship. We really have to stay in love. Stay in relationship, lead with love, but don't cave in on God's truth because we care too much about their eternal soul and our own eternal soul. We can't cave in and we can't say, yo, that's great, honey, because that's a lie. We have to stand on God's word because God's word is true. The culture is changing like shifting sand. You can't stand on it. It falls, it slits out from under your feet. The culture has lost its bearings. The culture is scripturally illiterate they don't know god's word they're ignorant it's shifting sand under our feet but we can't lie to people that are in mortal sin we can't celebrate their sin with them and say it's all okay because then we're cooperating in their sin and we're going to hold responsible for that you cannot cooperate with mortal sin you can't tell people oh, that's really cool that's great no you have to tell them in love the world doesn't want to hear that because the fallen world cooperates with sin all the time because jesus came he was a light of the world he came as a light in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome his light but the darkness doesn't want to see his light he came to his own home and his own people received him not they don't want anything to do with the light they liked living in the dark sodom loved living in the dark the world prefers darkness the world prefers sin the reason a priest cannot give communion to a person in mortal sin we don't feed a dead corpse mortal sin is spiritual death We don't feed the dead. Dead people can't eat. They're spiritually dead. They're separated from God if they're living in a state of mortal sin. So a dead soul can't eat Jesus until it's revived. Can that happen? Yes, because that's the gospel he came to preach, repentance and forgiveness. That's what he said. Tell the nations about my repentance and forgiveness. This is an old cartoon I found. It explains it. Healthy people can eat, and that souls without sin can receive communion. They can eat. But sick people, they can eat, but it's harder to eat. So souls with venial sin can receive communion, but they get less grace because they're in a state of sin. Dead people cannot eat because they're spiritually dead. They're separated from God. Souls in mortal sin cannot eat. Jesus wants to heal. The body of Christ heals people. He wants us to eat. So he wants us to repent and forgive, be forgiven. Paul says, if you're in mortal sin, you cannot receive the the Lord. You can't eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, or you're guilty of profaning the bloody and blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself before he eats the bread or drinks the cup. Because if you eat the bread and drink the cup, up without discerning the body you eat and drink judgment upon yourself that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died spiritually mortal sin remember i'm not judging anybody because we can't we can't we don't know if they've met all three of these conditions you have to have all three of these things to be in mortal sin it's grave matter that's one thing we can judge you know if it's grave matter or not anyone can make that judgment but we don't know if it was committed with full knowledge. And we don't know if it was committed with deliberate consent. We can't judge those because those are intentions of the heart that nobody knows. The church will never make a judgment on those two things, but we can judge if it's grave matter. Is this gonna be easy with our families at Thanksgiving next week when they all come home and we're all around the table? Will this be easy? Jesus says, no, this won't. He says that I have come and there will be division in families over him. Fathers are gonna be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. It's gonna be a really fun Thanksgiving. You can do it though. You can do it if you pray, if you're in prayer, and if you ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom, let me know when to hold my tongue, let me know when to speak, Let me give me knowledge, give me right counsel so I can tell my kids the right things, the true things in love that they can hear by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because if we don't do this in love, that's why we have this tension. Anything we do in love, lasts for all eternity. The greatest of these is love. Love is the only lasting thing that lasts. So everything else is passing away, and only what we do in love is going to remain eternally in heaven, in the heart of the Father, in the heart of love itself. So we have to do all of this with the greatest of love, gentleness. So I'm not judging anybody, but I'm just trying to teach what God's Word says so that we can all just love. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that we can stand on it. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to just fill us these next two weeks while we're apart from one another, while we celebrate this great day of thanks with our families. We pray for your Holy Spirit to inspire our minds and hearts and give us just the right words to accompany others with love, with love and with truth. And we ask Mary for her help on her feast day today. We pray, hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Bless us art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 18 through 20, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.